Welcome to Beyond Great Sex, the podcast that will revolutionize your sex life. I'm Morgan Horn, I'm a sex and intimacy coach, and I am going to give you the tools to create the mind-blowing sex life that you've been craving. When you apply the teachings from this podcast, you will drop the shame, limiting beliefs, and everything else that has been keeping you from enjoying the intimacy that you were designed to experience. Instead, you will unleash your unlimited potential, sexual and beyond. When you work with me, great sex is only the beginning. We're going beyond. Hey, lovelies. I'm excited to wrap up our conversation on communication and to finally give you the tools you've all been waiting for. And I wanted to start by thanking those of you who wrote in to ask me why there wasn't an episode last week. It's really heartwarming to hear that you're enjoying the episodes and looking forward to the next one. So thank you. Last week, I was sick. I had a pretty bad strep throat and I decided to rest and not put pressure on myself to publish at all costs. Although I must admit, I had a really hard time letting go at first. And I'm sharing this story with you to tell you that I also need to be reminded at times to apply the excellent advice I give to my clients, and in particular, to allow myself to rest and to listen to my body, which, by the way, is essential to a hot sex life, because an exhausted and overworked body will find it very difficult to open up to desire and pleasure. So back to today's topic. In the last episodes, we discussed how fear of hurting our partner's feelings can prevent us from communicating what we want sexually and beyond. And we also looked at how the patriarchy impacts this dynamic, particularly within heterosexual couples. And this week, I'd like to explore communication more generally and give you practical tools that you can use in your romantic relationship, and some you can even use in other relationships as well. Women often ask me how to communicate what they want sexually to their partner. They tell me that they don't know how to say what they want. And the first thing that often comes to my mind is to ask them, okay, let's imagine that you and your partner want to go out for dinner and you're craving pizza. How would you tell them? At that point, they usually understand what I'm getting at. And they often answer, um, I tell them I want pizza. <laughs> And this leads me to the obvious conclusion that these women have no problem expressing a desire, for pizza at least. They know how to use words and make sentences. The reason why they have so much trouble expressing their sexual desires is because they are not completely comfortable with these desires. And often what prevents us from communicating what we want sexually has to do with shame or embarrassment, discomfort, taboo. It's the same sort of bucket of feelings. And I won't go into detail about sexual shame today as I plan to record a separate episode on it. I know you've heard that one before. Every time I record an episode, I have at least five other episode ideas along the way, and I end up making a part one and part two, part three. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Anyway, I want to explore the subject of sexual shame, where it comes from, and what we can do to free ourselves from it in a future episode. But for today, what I want to say is that if you feel embarrassed or ashamed about expressing what you want sexually, the shame is what I'm interested in looking into. Because once you own your sexual desires, once you're secure about your wants, once you really feel within you that everything is 
quote unquote normal about you and that it's not dirty or perverted or shameful to want to experience the things that make you tick, then you'll have no trouble communicating those desires to your partner. And that's kind of tip number one of this episode. If you want to learn how to better communicate your sexual desires to your partner, first you need to be comfortable with those desires. And you can go ahead and ask yourself now, why am I hesitant to tell my partner what I want? You might notice thoughts that cause you embarrassment or shame. You might think that what you want is dirty, perverted, maybe selfish, weird. You might wonder if it's normal or whether it's legitimate to want what you want. And to overcome this shame or discomfort, there really is no magic wand. I recommend exposing yourself to as much diversity as possible in the expression of sexuality, whether through podcasts, books, documentaries, TV series, ethical pornography, or any other resource that promotes sexual education and sex positivity for all. But often, it is still helpful or even necessary to ask the help of a coach or therapist to do some deeper work. Because you may have internalized information and beliefs, some since childhood, that are blocking you today. And coaching or therapy can help you free yourself from these blockages to reconnect with your, until now, suppressed sexual essence and energy. Another common reason why many women do not share their sexual desires is that they don't know what they want or how to ask for it. Again, there can be several explanations why women do not know what they want in the first place, in particular the fact that society conditions women to be the object of men's desires, unlike men who are conditioned to pursue the object of their desire, to go hunting for what they want. Women are conditioned to be attractive, to be chosen, and so to worry about their desirability. They can spend more time worrying about what others think of them than to pay attention to what they actually think, want, and desire. Women are also conditioned to care for and be at the service of others, like their family, their spouse, their children. And only after everyone else's needs are met do they think about themselves and what they want. And even then, many still don't allow themselves to. And this shows clearly in sex, especially in heterosexual couples. Women are often concerned about their partner's satisfaction to the detriment of their own. They will tend to perform for their partner, to do what their partner likes, even when it's a turnoff for them, whether it's going down on him when they wouldn't want to impose such a quote-unquote chore on him, or anal sex, or faking an orgasm to make sure their partner is satisfied with the sex. And far from me to say that blowjobs and anal sex can't be amazing, they totally can. But how many women do it solely to please their partner when they're not really into it, but on the other hand would never ask their partner to do something that doesn't turn them on or give them direct pleasure? Not to mention concerns about their physical appearance, where women will worry about what their partner will think of their body and whether he'll be satisfied with it. What if he's disgusted by my fat stomach? In this position, he'll see my cellulite. That's a turn off. From this angle, I look bigger. Better that angle. I have no breasts. He won't be into it. Better to dim the lights. Better to avoid this position. And all that negative self-talk, at the expense of their own pleasure, of course, 
And in such a disproportionate way too, because most women would not demand as much quote unquote perfection from their male partners as they impose on themselves. So in short, women will tend to care more about their partner's sexual satisfaction and pleasure than their own. And I'm obviously generalizing here. And if you don't recognize yourself at all in what I just said, that's great. It means that you have learned what you like sexually, what you don't like, and that you feel comfortable enough in both expressing what you want and what you don't want. But if on the contrary, you struggle to communicate your desires to your partner because you don't know what you want, I invite you to be curious and to explore yourself. And that's the second recommendation of the day. To be able to communicate your sexual desires, you must first know them. And to do that, I invite you to do some sexploration. Put your partner's sexual satisfaction and pleasure aside for a second and allow yourself to think about your own. What turns you on? What gives you pleasure? Where do you like to be touched? How do you like to be touched? What do you like to be touched with? Are there any contexts or places that particularly arouse you? Scenarios or role plays? And to find out, I invite you to make love to yourself, to explore your body with your hands, with sex toys or other objects. You can also watch ethical porn, listen to erotic podcasts or read erotic novels, fantasize and imagine scenarios that turn you on. And of course, explore your pleasure with your partner if you feel ready for it, but it can help to do this alone at first. And the more you learn about what turns you on in terms of context and what you specifically like in terms of touching, positions, pressure, penetration, the more you will be able to guide your partner. Imagine moving into a new home and asking the movers to place your furniture and other items around without any indication from you. They can guess that the couch goes in the living room and the pans in the kitchen, right? But they're not going to know where and how exactly you like each of your belongings. And I'm, I'm not sure the moving company is the best analogy for this, but it's literally the first thing that came to mind. And I think you get my point well enough. Your partner can suspect how to arouse you or pleasure you, but they won't be able to guess everything. And each body is different and feels things differently. Each person has their own imaginary world with its own set of desires and fantasies. And each person has a past with its own set of traumas or unpleasant experiences. So I encourage you to explore your secret garden so that you can invite your partner there and guide them along the trails. Oh, man. I really am inspired today or not. I'm not sure which it is. So to sum up this first part, if you want to learn how to better communicate your sexual desires or wants to your partner, first, you need to know what you want, what you enjoy contextually and physically. And then you need to be comfortable with these desires and what gives you pleasure to be uninhibited and to own your desires. Then, once we know what we want and we're all in on our desires, what can we do concretely to better communicate them to our partner? I'm now going to give you some tools for a more constructive and effective communication. 
And by effective, I mean the kind of communication that is more likely to create the results you're hoping for. The first communication tip I want to give you is to focus on what works rather than what doesn't and why you want more of that. When we would like our partner to do something different, we can tend to say what is wrong because we would like it to change. And the problem with this way of communicating is that the other person will tend to feel attacked, criticized, and is more likely to be defensive. You might feel as though you've hit a wall or a door was slammed in your face. So instead of saying, for example, you never spend time pleasing me or going down on me, all you care about is that I go down on you and then straight to the point, and that's not a turn on for me. I never come. It's not working. How about instead you try, I like it when you touch and kiss my breasts, when you take your time to go through my whole body, when you spend time going down on me, because I feel that you want my body. I feel wanted. And that's a huge turn on. It gives me a lot of pleasure and it makes me want you even more. In both examples, your intention is the same, to ask for more touching, more attention, more time spent giving you pleasure, but the way you ask for it is completely different and is more likely to be well-received and to lead to what you want. You can try this on yourself right now. Imagine your partner saying to you, you don't turn me on, you don't take your time, you don't touch me in the right place, you don't think about my pleasure. You never do what I like. We always do the same thing. We always do what you like. You don't kiss me anymore. You don't compliment me. You don't tell me what you think. That kind of talk won't feel the same at all than if your partner said to you instead, I love the time you touched me like that. Could we do it more often? Can I take your hand and show you what I like? I want to have fun with you. I'd like us to spend more time together. When you share with me what you think, it helps me feel closer to you. When you compliment me, I feel wanted and being the object of your desire arouses me and it makes me want you. Anyway, I'm not going to do a thousand of these, but you can see where I'm going with this. You can express the same exact needs and desires, but by focusing on what works and why you want more of that, you open the door to possibilities and your partner is more likely to be receptive. Which leads me to my second advice, and that is to include your partner in the why. I invite you to explain to your partner why this desire is as much about them as it is about you. That doesn't mean you can't want something just for yourself. I'm the first person to encourage people, especially women, to consider their needs, to listen to their body, to explore themselves, to set boundaries, to learn to say no to make time for themselves, to prioritize their pleasure, to allow themselves to exist individually. But when communicating a sexual desire to our partner, I encourage couples to explain why the desire is as much about them as it is about us. Because in doing so, we invite our partner to play an active role in the story of that desire of ours. So instead of saying, you never compliment me, or... I'd like for you to compliment me, which is already a step above. Why not say, when you compliment my body, I feel sexy and wanted, and that makes me want you more. Or another example, instead of saying, 
You don't turn me on. It's not rough enough for me. I need you to objectify me. You're too vanilla. Why not say, I like it when you spank me? Because when you do it, I feel like I'm yours and I want to belong to you. It turns me on and it makes me feel close to you. The truth is that when it comes to sex, we all want to feel close to our partner, to experience a strong and intense emotional and physical bond. We want to feel pleasure, but also a deep connection. And when something doesn't work and we want it to change, it's because we want more pleasure, more connection, more affection, more intimacy, more of the other person in the end. If it was only about us, we could experience it separately from them. Here, it's about the need for connection to our partner. And so I therefore suggest that you invite your partner to take an active role in the story of this desire of yours by expressing how your desire is as much about them as it is about you. A third piece of advice is to avoid the words never and always. You have seen in the bad examples I gave that I have sometimes said, you never do this or that, or you always do this or that. And the problem with never and always is that they freeze the situation. They kind of block the field of possibilities because they put an end point to the story. The words never and always have a perpetual dimension. It's either never or always like that, end of story. There's no possible opening, no possible change. And I know that it's easier said than done. Often when we would like something to change, we come from a place of frustration, restlessness, irritation, or even anger. We're disappointed or we're hurt. But nevertheless, if our intention is to feel more closeness, more connection, more love, more affection, more pleasure, we have to give the other person a chance to make a move. We have to open the door to change. So let's avoid freezing the situation with nevers and always. And this is a good segue into my fourth recommendation, which is to assume that you are a team and that you want the same thing. It's kind of like thinking in terms of we instead of you or I. Every relationship has its ups and downs. It's moments when we feel like an item, like we're in perfect harmony or on the same wavelength, and on the contrary, moments when we don't understand each other. And when that happens, we can quickly fall into confrontation, where we are somewhat against each other, where our interests seem incompatible, they just don't meet. And this is where we tend to communicate aggressively, to accuse the other person, to blame them for everything that's not working. And that's when we tend to use the never and always. In these moments, it is good to remember that we are a team. We are a couple because we choose each other every day. We choose to move forward together because we want this life together. We both need and want love, affection, and pleasure. We both want to build a lasting bond. Because if it's not the case, then... Why are we together in the first place? We don't have much reason to be together, right? So keeping in mind that we're a team, even while disagreeing, can calm the situation down and leads to more constructive communication that aims to bring us closer together and cement the relationship. My fifth 
piece of advice is to choose times that are conducive to constructive communication. Now, this will sound obvious, but I strongly recommend that you avoid saying your piece when frustrated, angry, or upset. There's nothing more unproductive than to express what we want when we're overtaken by negative emotions, because we will tend to create the opposite of what we desire. Voices will be raised, things we will later regret will be said, everything will take disproportionate proportions. We're not clear-headed, and in short, it's not a good idea. A time that can be particularly favorable to discuss your sexual desires is the pillow talk or pillow debrief. One small warning though, I recommend it in the context of satisfying sex. When we just had sex, we are particularly vulnerable. We're literally naked and it's not a good time for criticism or quote unquote negative comments. It can be quite violent for a person to receive criticism in such an intimate and vulnerable moment. But on the other hand, if the sex was good, it's the perfect time to create deep intimacy and connection. You can put into practice tip number one, which is to tell your partner everything you liked, focusing on what worked and why you want more of that. It's also a good time to suggest trying new things. Because when both of us have just experienced a strong and intense moment of pleasure, we will be much more receptive and naturally inclined to see and communicate things in a positive and constructive way. And we can also ask our partner how it was for them. What did they like best? Remember that communication is a two-way street and that if you want to share your desires, you also have to be willing to listen to the other person and to hear what they have to say. Other times that are conducive to constructive communication are times that you will have scheduled. What I find interesting is that companies often have weekly team meetings, which are scheduled times every week for team members to talk and share what they're working on, and also to strengthen the relationship with their colleagues to better work together. Companies often have team building days, generally once or twice a year, with the aim of strengthening the bond between employees. Companies also generally set objectives, either yearly, quarterly, or even more frequently. And all that knowing that people rarely intend to spend their entire career within one same company. And yet, couples who commit to spending their entire lives together rarely schedule times for discussion or deciding on goals. We have this false idea that in love, things should happen spontaneously. And here again, I'm planning to do another episode on the myth of spontaneity in sex, but today I'm talking about spontaneity mainly in the context of communication. We have this false idea that in love, things should happen naturally, that it should just flow. But when you think about it, that would mean moving forward together for potentially 50 years or more in the same direction in a fluid and effortless way. <laughs> In reality, relationships take work, all of them. Friendships, parenting, romance, professional relationships, all of them require effort. And the relationship that will likely require the most work is your romantic relationship, because it is one of the few people with whom you could indeed end up spending 50 years or more. And so setting up a weekly, fortnightly, or monthly talking date you decide what frequency suits your relationship, 
is an interesting concept because it allows you both to share what's on your mind, to appreciate the good, but also to discuss what isn't working so well. And the advantage of these times is that you can prepare for them. And this leads me to my sixth piece of advice for better communication, which is to set an intention for these discussions. The advantage of having scheduled times to communicate and set couple goals is that you can set an intention for these discussions. This avoids the knee-jerk reactions fueled by emotions that don't serve us, such as when we speak from anger. And when you set a clear intention, like wanting a more affectionate relationship, for example, you enter the conversation with this intention in mind, which will help you like a compass throughout the conversation. What can I say to create more affection between us? How can I express my needs in an affectionate way? And when the conversation doesn't go the way you'd hoped, if you notice a change of tone, for example, or that you're creating distance, you can gently remind yourself of your intention. It can ground you in your speech and help you keep a sense of direction. And this principle applies beyond communication. I personally try to live with intention every day. Now, I don't always do it perfectly, but I try to set an intention before I do things like before my workout this morning or even before recording this podcast episode because it allows me to be more in the present, to be more attentive and curious and to live more intensely and to be more in control of the events of my day rather than just reacting to them because I decide ahead of time how and why I want to experience a particular moment. And this brings me to my seventh recommendation, which is to focus on one thing at a time. I encourage you to keep your intention to one thing as much as possible. When we express our desires to our partner, and especially when we ask for something to change, we can quickly add layers onto the problem and end up mixing everything together. It's a bit like a sink filled up with dirty dishes to the point that it overflows and you can't wash anything. For example, your intention may be to ask your partner to be more attentive, but as the conversation goes on, tension rises and you start blaming each other for a number of things. You don't help me with the children. You don't help with the shopping. And unless I ask you to empty the bin, you won't do it. And the dishwasher was full this morning. And last week you didn't defend me when your mother criticized me and you never listened to me and you never hugged me and you'd rather go and have a beer with your mates than spend an evening with me. Imagine that every complaint is a dirty dish. Before you know it, the sink overflows. And the result is that not only do we argue and drift apart, but we probably won't solve any of the problems. Whereas if we had only focused on one issue, we would have had better chances of being heard and finding solutions. And this is another benefit of scheduling those talking moments. When you know you're going to talk soon because you do it once a week, for example, you're less likely to react to your emotions and speak out of anger or have that sense of urgency to solve everything now. It's easier to limit yourself to one issue when you know that you will soon have the opportunity to express other needs or desires. Now, this brings me to my eighth and final piece of advice, 
which will be familiar to you if you have listened to previous episodes of this podcast, which is to be okay with your partner having their reaction. We can never control how others will receive our message, how they will react to our requests. You can have the best of intentions and still get a door slam. Your partner may take offense, get angry, not be willing to listen, not want to meet your requests, not want the same things as you. This is a possibility to be prepared for. And here I have a few things I want to say. First of all, I recommend that you communicate as much as possible with love for yourself and your partner. That way, whatever his or her reaction, you'll have your own back because you'll know that you did the best you could. You had the best of intentions and you spoke from love. And that will spare you from blaming yourself for acting more impulsively, for example. Acting with love is always the best option, although admittedly not always the easiest, I'll grant you that. And acting with love can also mean setting boundaries or saying no. Let's not mistake acting with love with people pleasing and saying yes when we wish we had said no. Otherwise, we're not acting with love towards ourselves. We're ignoring ourselves instead. Secondly, it's good to remember that not always wanting the same things is not necessarily bad. We must remember that a couple is made of two separate beings who decide to be together, but they remain separate people who each have their own needs and desires, and it is natural that they're not always on the same wavelength. There is no such thing as a relationship without conflict or give and take. What matters is that the relationship somehow provides you what you're looking for in a relationship. And for more practical advice on what to do when your partner does not satisfy you or doesn't want the same things as you, I invite you to listen to episode three of the podcast and to download your free workbook from my website. You can find it at www.morganhorn.com slash free materials. And I'll add the link in the notes of this episode. Third and last, accepting that your partner has their reaction is also about being open to dialogue and being willing to hear what they have to say. It's not enough to want to communicate our desires. We must also be prepared to hear those of our partner. But here again, let's not mistake listening and being willing to make concessions with accepting everything and neglecting ourselves along the way. No extremes are ever good. And so the idea is to aim to find a balance. Okay, I think that's pretty much it for today, lovelies. To summarize this episode, if you want to learn how to better communicate your desires to your partner, you want to, first of all, know what you want what you like. You want to know yourself and your pleasure. And for that, I invite you to do some exploration. Then you best be comfortable with your desires and what gives you pleasure. You want to undo the shame, heal your wounds, and break the taboos so that you fall in love with your desires. And then in terms of communication, I invite you to apply the following recommendations. Focus on what works and why you want more of that. Include your partner in the why and invite them to play an active role in your desire. Avoid using nevers and always. Assume that you are a team and want the same thing. Think in terms of we. 
choose times that are conducive to constructive communication, for example, pillow talks and debriefs, and talking dates at the frequency you like. Set an intention before these conversations. Focus on one thing at a time to avoid the sink overflowing with dirty dishes. And accept that your partner will have a reaction. Communicate with love, with intention, but be prepared to also listen and to the possibility that your partner may not have the reaction you had hoped for. And I could add a ninth tip, which is to not put pressure on yourself. These recommendations are meant to help you to better communicate with your partner. They're not meant to be another thing you beat yourself up with when you don't do it, quote unquote, perfectly, okay? Remember that life is 50-50, including communication with your loved one. You will get carried away at times. You will react to your emotions. You will say things you wish you hadn't said, or that will have the opposite effect of what you were hoping to achieve. And this is okay. You're a human being full of colors and emotions. But why not try this week to put some of these tools into practice? Think of something you would like to communicate to your partner, a desire, a need, and choose a moment to say it and put an intention. Why do you want to communicate this desire? What do you hope to create? Then ask yourself how you can say it in a loving way, focusing on what works and how is this desire of yours as much about your partner as it is about you? All right, my loves, I'm sending you much love and I'll speak to you soon. If you have loved this episode, please add a rating, write a review and share it around to help spread the word to all the women out there who need to hear this. I am so grateful for you listening. And if you are ready to take this work deeper, book your discovery session with me at www.morganhorn.com. That is M-O-R-G-A-N-E-H-O-R-N.com. We will explore any issue you would like help with, and you will learn all about my coaching program so you can get started on creating the sex life of your wildest dreams. I will see you there.